Good morning. Today's reading is from Ephesians 1, chapter 8, verse 18 to 21. This I'm reading from the New, uh, New International Version. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and, he, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I'm going to do something different, stand behind the pulpit today, buddy. Okay, we are in a series of sermons in November about uh, what we believe, and especially in terms of what we have. Um, Sermons have dealt with, uh, we are a new creation, uh, we have a new family, we have a new home, and today we're going to be talking about we have a new source of strength. Now, what I want to do as we get started is to kind of get you thinking about uh, what type of person was the Apostle Paul? I'm, I'm working on the assumption that everybody here is familiar with the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote much of the New Testament. Uh, most of the book of Acts is about his story and about what he did. And as familiar as we are with him, sometimes I think we want to back off and take a look at him as a person or as a man. So what type of person was he? Well, we know when we're first introduced to him in Acts, he actually is going by his, his Jewish name, Hebrew name, of Saul. And he was a young Pharisee, very militantly opposed to Christianity and active in its persecution and opposition. Uh, and so see a young man who is very intense and very powerful. Um, and he's just going all over the place trying to persecute the church. Then we read about his conversion to Christianity. So what kind of person was he after his conversion? Uh, was he, and we kind of think about the apostles as, I, I use the more modern term superstar. I mean, we just kind of, he seems larger than life, doesn't he? I mean, all the things that he does, all the places that he goes, all the people that, that he teaches. Or was Paul maybe a little bit more like us than we realize? Well, how would Paul, you know, I, sometimes when I read the Bible, and I'll just give you a little little uh, tip here. Sometimes when I read the Bible and I'm, I'm reading somebody like Paul, I pretend that I'm interviewing him. You know, I'm asking him questions as I'm looking at the text and saying, okay, Paul, why are you saying this? What are you thinking? What is, so, so Paul, tell me about yourself. How do you see yourself? I mean, it's really interesting because he, when he does talk about himself, it's very different than we might think. He tells Timothy that he thinks of himself as the chief of sinners. Surprising. In writing to the Galatians, he tells them that he first preached the gospel to them because of an illness. Really? 
And he talks about the fact that they would have plucked out their eyes for him, which gives us a clue. Is that the illness that he's talking about, or is that something in addition? He tells the Corinthians that he has what he calls a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. Whoa. That there was some kind of condition, some kind of situation or problem that, that Paul continuously and repeatedly, and he, he talked about how he, re, he asked God to take it away, and God didn't. And even as he looked back to what his critics were saying to him, his, they said his, his letters are strong, but his presence is weak. You know, he almost even suggesting that he was ineffective. And when Paul actually thought about his life, when he was talking about the weight of sin that he felt, said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That was to the Romans. Wow, Paul? You're not the Paul I thought you were. You come across as weak, struggling. Hey, Paul, you're a lot more like me than I ever realized. So, wait a minute. And if you read the article in the bulletin, you know, you kind of saw the the summary of all of this. How is it that you were able to do what you did? How could you go to all the places you went to and talk to all of the people that you did and teach all of the people and train and all of these churches? Well, I think Paul would probably give us an answer in in three passages. We'll mention the first two now and the third one at the end. So, Paul, how are you able to do it? Well, he told the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. And I, and that's kind of my own emphasis there, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I had to move, Paul's answer is, I had to move me the big I, and interestingly, the Greek word for I is ego. I had to take ego, I, out of the way and let it be crucified with Christ. And so now I live by faith. The other passage is what he said to the Colossians. He, that is Christ, is the one we proclaim admonishing and preaching Uh, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, it's not me. It's Christ. That I have a power in my life that is not about who I was before I became a Christian, Not about my innate natural talents that come so easily. But in fact, I go through life dealing with very hard, difficult situations. And most 
am significantly struggling with myself because of the Christ who is part of my life. The Christ I believe and serve. And if you notice in this verse, he talks about the fact that, that this is what he wants to share with people. He wants to share Jesus. He wants them to be like him. He wants them to grow to be fully mature. And so to the Ephesians, and this was our reading. I just turned it off. And so to the Ephesians, he he tells them about this prayer, which was our reading this morning. And I, I, I think this prayer, prayer is just absolutely uh, amazing. So he says, and we're going to, we just read it, but I, I, I just for emphasis, I want, so I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So Paul's prayer for them really is, and it's kind of interesting as you think about it. Okay, number one, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now think about that. You got eyes in your heart? That's a pretty low down view. All right, that's an image. But in other words, that the heart is the center, the emotional center of the person. And so it's getting down to the very core. So he wants the, the heart. He wants them to really know and to understand three things. Number one, the hope of that God has called them to. Secondly, the inheritance. Boy, wouldn't you love it to get home and get a phone call and say, hey, you just gotten an inheritance. Whoa. Because you know that has value. And so the, the hope and the inheritance. But the third one, and this is the one we're going to be talking about, is the incomparably great power for us who believe. It's an interesting word when he says incomparably, because uh, the Greek word here is one of those compound words. I just love it. I remember when I learned it in Greek class. And what it really means is to throw beyond. And the word throw is the word ballo. You know, what do you throw? You throw a ball. That's how I remembered that. So, and, and, and hyper, hooper, ballo. Means to throw beyond. And so, you know, those of us who like sports, you know, somebody's going to be watching football this afternoon, and you see quarterbacks that overthrow the receiver, right? Uh, because they've just got too much strength, because they're too powerful. And so, this is what he's talking about, is that the power that we need to know is able to... You know, Jesus is able to throw beyond. He's so strong and powerful. But what's important here is what kind of power that is. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. 
And this is one of those ideas that I think for us as Christians, we really need to get into our minds. The power at work in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We are no longer weak and apologetic. We have real, dynamic power. So what does this power do? Well, you know, you think about, there are some things that we kind of logically would, would understand. Well, number one, it saves us. You know, that power is able to overcome, you know, and, and while I mentioned Paul's conscience, called himself the chief of all sinners and said, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He didn't, he, he knew that he wasn't just left floundering in the muck and mire there. He knew that the power of Christ had forgiven him. Had given him a new life. We'll talk about that just a little bit more. But It's real. It saves us. And we really need to, you know, when when we come together in our assembly and we worship our Heavenly Father, and, you know, I, I think we really need to approach this gathering with the reverence and awe that it deserves. Because we're worshiping and honoring the one who exerted the power that could bring us back from the dead, brought Jesus back from the dead. But second, it transforms and changes us. One of the things that new Christians struggle with uh, is because we talk about the change and the transformation and what happens to us as Christians and you know, sometimes I've, I've had people that I've, that I've worked with and tried to teach and encourage. And, you know, it's like they wake up the next morning and they want to go, poof, totally changed. And we, we, we come to understand that the change is, while it is progressive, you know, that, but it happens over time. It's a slow growth. And sometimes I suggest to people that they keep a journal and they make a note of the things of kind of where they are and what they're thinking and what they're feeling, you know, especially after they've been baptized. You know, that's a great time to sit down and write down what, what they did today, the day they were baptized, and how they feel about it and how they feel about themselves. And then periodically to take that out and add to it, but to look back. You know, when they look back five years later, they come to realize that they have grown. That the power of Christ has been making a transformation in their lives. You know, Paul isn't just saying words when he says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We've been made new, and that newness continues on. We, you know, and so when, when Paul writes um, and tells the Romans not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
that we are engaged in that process because the Lord is engaged in that process in us. He strengthens us. We find ourselves able to do things that we never, ever dreamed possible. We face difficulties. One of the challenges in working on this lesson is there were so many things I wanted to look at. I wanted to look at Paul in 2 Corinthians talking about all the adversities and hardships and difficulties and suffering that he went through. And, you know, I think if somebody had sat down with Paul and really laid it out for him at the very beginning, he might have said, are you really sure you want me to do <laughs> It's a tough road. Well, Paul, how did you do it? Well, it wasn't me. It was the Lord who gave me strength. I didn't have to rely on my own ability or power. I let God do take me through it. And it motivates us. The more we understand about what has given to us, the more we want to respond. The more we want to share. I've always liked an illustration that I've heard used and I've used several times over the years. But it kind of like goes back to something I said a minute ago. But if you got home, you know, that inheritance. Well, you got home and you found out that that uh, some aid, some travel agency or some airline was offering you a totally uh, free vacation including transportation, accommodation, and meals for a week for you and ten of your best friends, how long would it take you to get on the phone and start inviting your friends? It's exciting to be part of such a dynamic change. To be tied into the power of Christ. Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we have difficulty with that statement because we read that and it says we have to work for our salvation. And that's not what he's saying. Because the salvation has been purchased by Christ and his blood. But we do have a role. And we are part of that. But notice what he says. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Okay. Notice what he says here. It is God who works in you. We try to run, we try to live as though it all depended on us. We drive ourselves crazy sometimes. We become obsessed with being perfect and doing everything. And we forget that God 
is working in us. To do what? To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has a purpose for each of us. God has a will that he wants us to to share. But God didn't just say, oh, here you go. Good luck. Hope you make it. What he says is, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to give you the strength to do it. It doesn't just depend on you. God wants to work in us. You know, we, we, we need to, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes we think about this as a sign of somebody who's got a, mental issues. But, you know, I, I hear voices. <laughs> not that kind. But I hear a voice inside me sometimes saying you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not, you're not doing enough. But the voice I need to hear is the voice of God saying, I'm with you. I'm here. I want to help you. I want to empower you. I want to help you get to the end and to reach the goal. And so I think there's some tips here that Paul gives us. Number one, in terms of our relationship with ourselves and others, Without grumbling or arguing. Human nature. You know, think about Israel when they're coming out of the promised land. What seems to be like almost the main issue that Moses had to deal with leading these people? Grumbling, complaining, arguing. There was no peace for them or for him. You know, at one point he says to God, these people you have given me. That's like one parent saying to the other, this kid you gave me. We talk a lot for good reason about the fact that as God's family. Who share the same hope. That there needs to be unity and love and harmony. That the power of Christ needs to bring us closer together, not drive us further apart. Secondly, he talks about the fact that we we need to be blameless and pure, shining like lights among them. You know, it was really interesting. A couple days ago, I got a a, a, one of those posts on, on my feed on one of the social media channels. And it was a quote from C.S. Lewis. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who, who, who pointed out that when Jesus calls us to be lights, it's not to call attention to ourselves. It's to bring attention to Christ. One of the very first sermons I ever preached was basically built on a very familiar thing. We've got stained glass windows here. And when you look at the window, you stop and notice the window. Right? 
God didn't call us to be stained glass windows. He called us to be clear panes of glass through which everyone could see Jesus. We can't see what's going on outside with stained glass. But with clear glass, we can. And we need to be the kind of people leading lives, notice how he says, blameless and pure, so that nobody can find legitimate grounds for criticism or finding fault, which is what blameless means. doesn't mean perfect. But blameless and pure be the best we can be as we hold firmly to the word, as we obey. That's important, isn't it? That we, as God's people, are centered and based and rooted in his word to do it. So, at the end of Philippians, Paul says this to them. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned that you had no opportunity, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. And he's been talking about their awareness or their concern about whether he needs support or whatever. And he says, I'm not writing this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's not my strength, not my ability. It's his. And it's getting myself out of the way. To let Jesus take over. You know, I, I remember a lesson I heard many, many years ago. I was probably in my early 20s. You know, and, and the speaker was talking about the fact there, there, there's this old saying that, that said, you know, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. And what the speaker says, no. When you get to the end of your rope, let go and let God take over. And I remember thinking, yeah, we try to tie the knot and hang on for dear life. But what we need to be doing is turning it over to God. To be praying, means having patience. There's a, a movie that I saw many years ago, and every once in a while it shows up back on TV. I was privileged to be able to see it. Uh, in, a, in a in a private showing for local uh, ministers and religious leaders uh, before it was released to the general public. And some of you have seen it. Some of you may have never seen it because it's so old now. It's called Chariots of Fire. How many have seen Chariots of Fire? How many have not seen Chariots of Fire? Yeah. There you go. The movie is about the life uh, of Eric Little, L-I-D-D-E-L, who was a fabulous runner 
back in the early part of the 1900s. He was a world-class athlete. But he was also a very dedicated believer. And part of the movie is about the tension between his ability and his faith. And unfortunately, there's a pivotal point there where uh, there's, there's a, a tension that unnecessarily occurs because he believes that Sunday is the Sabbath day, which it's not and never has been. And he's unwilling to compete in the Olympics on a Sunday. And that alone is unusual, isn't it? For somebody, I mean, if somebody just said, I won't do that because it's the Lord's Day, which is what it is. And even uh, the Prince of Wales tries to persuade him to, to, to change on that. But there's one scene in the movie, and it's interesting because it starts out, Eric, a little is, is, is in church and he's doing a scripture reading and he's reading from Isaiah 40. And as he starts the reading, the camera is on him and the voice of the reading continues. But then the, the camera, what you see, shifts to uh, the fact that it's a rainy day there and the Athletes are competing in in different things in the rain. They're slipping and sliding and collapsing in the muck and the mire. Oh, it's, it's such a powerful and moving thing as he reads. And you see them even running their race. You know, one of the things about running races at that level is they get to the end of the race and they just collapse exhausted. And so what he's reading is this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We have a new source of power. It's from one who does not grow tired and weary. But one who possesses all the power greater power than we can even begin to imagine. And he is the, the force. Uh, like the song sometimes we sing and it just popped into my head. He's the wind be, beneath our wings. He's what enables us and empowers us to do what we, we need to do. As God's people, we need to understand we have a new source of strength. And maybe we haven't really come to terms with that as we, as we could. We don't really realize that 
the power is there for us to use and to have and to grow and to become and to be transformed. As we sing our closing song, hopefully we'll all be thinking about what that power means and what it can do for us. Let's stand as we sing.